And welcome to Christ Central. My name is Owen. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time today, welcome to our church, or maybe today is the first time in a long time. Welcome back to church. Uh, welcome home. Uh, before I get into my sermon, I want to get it, uh, just give you a quick update on my wife, Margaret, and her fight against uh, breast cancer. As many of you know, through the church-wide email that was sent out last week, uh, Margaret will need surgery again uh, to um, remove some pre-invasive cancer cells that was uh, detected after the first surgery. Uh, the surgery is scheduled for this Wednesday at 12 p.m. Uh, if you could pray for a successful surgery and for a full recovery for my wife, I would really appreciate it. Um, my wife, Margaret, is doing well. Um, she's trusting God, and she's experiencing a peace that uh, surpasses understanding as she stays close to God. You know, suffering can do one of two things. It can either push you farther away from God, or it can draw you closer to God. And it's just been a joy and so encouraging to see my wife draw near to God because of and in her suffering, to see her pray and read scripture, um, and to know peace uh, because God is with her has been super, uh, supremely encouraging for me as her husband. And, uh, and to watch her worship with you all, uh, hands raised, uh, singing of God's goodness and faithfulness while she has cancer. I, I, I believe that the power of the gospel is shown most beautifully and most powerfully when God's suffering people can still worship God with joy. Amen. Um, Christ Central, we love you. You're our family, and we're so blessed to be a part of this family. Um, your prayers, your, your care for us, your love for us has just meant the world to us. So thank you so much. Uh, for being in our church family. Uh, the title of my sermon today is The Gospel, Money, and Generosity. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 18, and we're going to read from verse 18 to 30. We're going to read a very familiar story, the story of the rich young ruler. People of God, this is the word of our God. Would you please give it your careful attention? And a ruler asked him, this is Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife, or brothers, or parents, or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, 
who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So you might be thinking, why is Pastor Owen talking about money at church? Let's be honest, nobody likes to talk about money at church. I don't want to preach a sermon on money because I don't want you to view me and this sermon as me asking for or begging for money for our church. And you probably don't want to hear a sermon on money because you don't want to feel bad or guilty because you haven't been giving or, or, or been giving very generously to the work of the church. So why am I preaching a sermon on money when nobody wants to preach or hear a sermon on money at church? Well, it's because I'm a glutton for pain, right? No, that's not true. Uh, let me give you three reasons why I think we need to talk about money at church. First, we need to talk about money at church because Jesus talked about money all the time. Did you know that Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell? Uh, did you know that Jesus talked more about money than prayer? Now, if I were to ask you, what demonstrates your love for God more? How much you pray or what you do with your money? You would probably say, well, how much I pray demonstrates my love for God. But the truth is, Jesus talked more about money than prayer. And I believe, and I can make the case, that how you spend and steward your money is a truer and a better indicator of your love for God, even more than how much you pray. The second reason why we need to talk about money is because money is so dangerous to our spiritual lives. In one of his parables, Jesus talked about um, the seed of the gospel falling on different kinds of soil, different kinds of hearts, and one of the soils was thorny soil. The seed of the gospel that falls onto the thorny soil takes root, begins to bear fruit, but eventually it gets choked out and withers because of the thorns, which Jesus refers to as the cares and the riches of the world. Jesus tells us, that money has the power to choke out and to wither our spiritual lives so that the work of the gospel in our lives becomes unfruitful. You know, people think that the Bible warns against sex as if sex were the greatest threat against the Christian life. But the Bible warns far more against the dangers of money than the dangers of sex. And someone once said this, sex has killed its thousands but money has killed its tens of thousands. Now, the third reason why we need to talk about money at church is because we live in a culture that loves money. In our culture, loving money is normal. Everyone does it. Nobody bats an eye. And we as Christians will naturally adopt and assume the values and the practices of our culture unless we intentionally and deliberately fight against it. And the sad truth is that we Christians, so many of us, love our money just like our culture does. And because everyone around us loves money, because everyone that we know overvalues money, we have become desensitized to the reality that we too love our money too much. And we become blind or unaware of the fact that our love for money is choking our spiritual lives out. 
and we're becoming unfruitful for the kingdom of God. And one way that our love for money shows up is in how little we give toward the work of the gospel. You know, as Christians who live in America in the 21st century, especially right here in Nova, which is one of the richest places to live, uh, not only in the United States, but on planet Earth, uh, we are among the wealthiest Christians in the history of the world. Did you know that about yourselves? Now, you may not feel that way, but if you look at human history, we are among the wealthiest Christians that have ever lived. And yet... U.S. Christians give at historically low levels. Here are some sobering and sad statistics. Uh, 20% of U.S. Christians give nothing, zero dollars, to the work of the church or any Christian organization, not a single dollar. 72% of U.S. Christians give less than 2% of their income to the work of churches and Christian organizations. So the vast majority of U.S. Christians give nothing or next to nothing to the work of churches and Christian organizations. And sadly, those statistics are basically true of our own church. The majority of our church gives nothing or very little in relation uh, to their incomes to support the work of the church. And I'm sure some of you who now have jobs, you're still giving $5 a week like you did when you were in youth group. But I'm praying for much better for our church as a Christ-following church, as a church that has been transformed and is being renewed by the grace and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. So why do we give so little or even nothing to support the work of the gospel? Is it because we can't afford it? I think most of us, if not all of us, have discretionary income especially if we live here in Northern Virginia. Uh, we spend lots of money on non-essential things, whether it's eating out or entertainment, sports, vacations, travel, clothes, shoes, and the list could go on and on and on. And the reason why we Christians give so little of our money to the work of the gospel is because we love our money. You see, when it comes to ourselves, and what we want, what we need, we are very generous with ourselves. But when it comes to supporting the work of the gospel, somehow that generosity disappears. And our love for money, whether we realize it or not, is choking out our spiritual lives and making us unfruitful for the kingdom of God. That's why we need to do the uncomfortable thing of talking about money at church. Because Jesus talked about money a lot and because we need to be aware of the spiritual dangers that money poses to us, especially when our, we allow our hearts to love money. And the only way for us to be protected from the spiritual dangers of money and the only way for us to be fruitful for the kingdom of God is to be generous with our money, to give our money away toward the work of the gospel in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and to do it not reluctantly, not out of guilt, not out of shame, but cheerfully and generously. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. But how in the world do we do that? How do we give our money away for the work of the gospel in a cheerful way when we love our money, when it hurts so much to part with our money? 
in order to become a cheerful and generous giver toward the work of the gospel, you have to do two things. Two things, and this is going to be my sermon outline for today. Two things. First, you have to choose Jesus to be your first love, your actual and functional first love. And second, you have to see Jesus, the one who chose you to be his first love. And those two things are directly related because the only way that you will ever choose Jesus to be your first love is if you see that Jesus first chose you as his first love. Let's begin. First, you have to choose Jesus as your first love. Now, we all have many loves, right? Most of them are good and legitimate loves. We love our spouses. We love our kids. We love our health. We love our careers. We love our money. We love our homes, our food, our hobbies, our comfort, and many, many other good and legitimate things. There are a lot of things to love in this world, a lot of things to love in your life. But we have to reorder the loves in our hearts so that the order is right, so that we love first and foremost the things that are truly important, eternally important. Let me ask you a question um, that I want you to be thinking about throughout the sermon. And that question is this. What is your first love? What is it that you love first and foremost in your heart? Now, I'm not looking for the uh, trite Christian answer. I'm asking you to consider in your heart what is it that you actually and functionally love most in your life. Say you have 15 loves in your life. What is the first one? What is the one love that you cannot do without? What is the one love that you're willing to sacrifice all the other loves for? What is your first and foremost preeminent love in your heart that you're dedicated to? Today, I want to show you that you have to make a deliberate and intentional choice about what or who your first love will be. For the rich young ruler in our story today, money was his actual and functional first love. This young man had everything, right? He was young, healthy, and strong. He was successful and rich through honest, hard work. And he was a ruler. He was respected, influential, and powerful. And he was also a very religious and devout person because he kept all the commandments of God. And I want you to catch this. And he was a generous person. Because he kept all the tithing laws. He kept all the laws to share with the poor. See, this man had everything. He was living the dream, as they say. And yet, something was still missing. There's still, there still an emptiness in his heart. For all of his goodness, for all of his social status, for all of his wealth, for all of his power, for all of his religiosity, something was still missing. He still felt like he was missing eternal life, and he wanted it. So he ran up to Jesus and asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do in order to inherit or to receive eternal life? Because I realized I don't have it yet. I have everything else, but I don't have this eternal life, and I want it. Can you tell me what to do so that I can go get it? 
You see, this rich young ruler was expecting or wanting Jesus to tell him to go do some good deed. And if you do that one good deed, then he would finally receive this elusive eternal life. Finally, he would be right with God. Finally, the emptiness in his heart would be filled. Finally, he would have life, true life, eternal life. And the rich young ruler thought of himself as a good person because in his mind, he had kept and was keeping the law of God. But Jesus wanted to show this rich young ruler that he was not as good as he thought he was. And to expose this man's lack of goodness, Jesus asked him how he was doing with the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And this young man said very confidently, I've kept them all. Ever since I was in youth group, I've kept them all. Check, check, check. I'm a good church boy. You see, this young man believed that he was good because in his mind, he believed that he was faithfully keeping the law of God. And then Jesus said to him, I see. Okay, so tell you what, I want you to go do something. Go sell everything that you have. All your estate, all your lands, all your possessions, everything that you own that's worth anything. Go sell it all. And then give all the proceeds to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, be with me. Come follow me. And when Jesus said that to him, it made him very sad. Because he was not just rich, extremely rich. Now this young man must have thought to himself, Jesus, I already give my money to the poor. I already give 10% of all that I make. Now, you want me to sell everything I have and give it all away? Not just some of it, but all of it? Jesus, this would be financial suicide. This would be completely irresponsible. What you're asking for is ridiculous. It's too much. And... This rich young man had uh, just too much to lose. And so he walked away from Jesus. Very sad. You see, at the end of the day, this rich man chose his money over Jesus. This rich young man chose his actual and functional first love, which was money. Now, let's not judge this young man, right? Because if Jesus were to ask you to do the same thing, I'm pretty sure you would have responded in the same way. Especially if your net worth is really, really high. But if you're kind of poor, it might be a little bit easier. But if you own a lot and you're worth a lot, a lot harder decision, isn't it? By asking the rich young man to do this, Jesus wanted to show him that he hadn't really kept any of the commandments, especially the first one. What was the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. But this man had another god before God, and that god was money. Jesus said that the whole law could be summarized in two commandments. 
Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the truth is, this rich young man did not love God or his neighbor. He loved money more than God, and he loved money more than his poor neighbors. Jesus exposed the true condition of this man's soul. You see, he was not as good as he was. In fact, this young man was an idol worshiper. And the idol that he worshiped was money. Jesus was saying, if you want eternal life, then you must replace your current functional God, which is money, with me. I must become your God. I must become your first love. You see, for this young man, money stood between him and Jesus. Money stood between him and eternal life because money was his first love. And sadly, he chose money over Jesus, the only one who could give him eternal life. Today, friends, you have to decide who or what will be your first love, your functional God. Are you going to choose money to be your first love? Or are you going to choose Jesus to be your first love? Now, how do you know if money is your functional, actual first love? How do you know if at the moment in your heart, uh, your functional God is money? Because none of us want to admit to that, right? Let me ask you a few questions to consider, and you answer them in your head. Do you constantly worry about money? Do you trust money to give you the things that you want, like security, comfort, pleasure? Do you freak out at the prospect of losing your money? Do you overwork to make more money? Do you believe that if you just had more money, then your life would improve and your problems would just go away? Do you envy people who have money? Here's another one. Do you look down on secretly in your heart at people who don't have money? Is it too painful to give your money away, even to support the work of the gospel? If you answered yes to any or most or or all of those questions, could I submit to you that maybe, just maybe today at this moment, that money might be your actual and functional first love? Could I submit to you that maybe today, whether you want to admit it or not, the functional God that you trust and love and worship is money? Friends, there is a spiritual battle for the allegiance, devotion, and trust of our hearts. There is. So what will you choose to be your actual and functional first love of your heart? Will it be money or will it be Jesus? So the first thing you have to do in order to be a generous and cheerful giver that supports the cause of the gospel, is this. You have to choose Jesus to be your first love. Not just lip service first love, but actual and functional first love of your heart. Here's the second thing. But in order to do that, you first have to see Jesus. 
the one who chose you to be his first love. The rich young man couldn't do what Jesus asked because verse 23 says that he was extremely rich. His net worth was so much. He had so much money. He just couldn't part with it. I mean, he worked so hard for it. Everyone was envious of his wealth. That was who he was. It was his identity. It was his significance. It was his security. It was what made him him. There was no way he could part with it. And so what did he do? He parted with Jesus instead. Do you know what your first love is? Your first love is, of all the loves in your life, you could, if you can only have one, that's what you choose. That's your functional, actual first love. What are the loves that you're willing to sacrifice? What is the love for which you're willing to sacrifice all the other loves? That's your actual, functional first love. Now, Jesus said something surprising to this young man. Right? He said that it's difficult, nearly impossible for rich people to enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were shocked by what Jesus said. And they asked, then, who can be saved? Now, do you know why they asked that question? It's because everyone at that time believed that rich people were God's favorites. They believed that the reason why rich people were rich in the first place is because they were obedient to the law of God, they were pleasing to God, and therefore God blessed them with wealth and riches. But Jesus was saying that it is so difficult for rich people to enter into the kingdom of God, and therefore they asked, who can be saved if God's favorites cannot enter into the kingdom of God? If God's most blessed people cannot enter into the kingdom of God, then who can enter into the kingdom of God? Who can be saved? And then Jesus gave this comical word picture to show how difficult it was, right? Uh, a camel at that time was the largest land animal. And the eye of the needle was the smallest opening. And Jesus said it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. But why? Why is it so hard, if not impossible, for rich people to enter into the kingdom of God? It's because it's really difficult for rich people to choose Jesus over their money. Because for rich people, money is their life. Money is the source of their security and significance. Money is the source of their identity and power. Money is just too important. Money is their actual and functional first love. Money is their God. And it's really hard to part with your God. To choose money, to choose Jesus over money is impossible for people who are blinded by the glory and the beauty and the allure of money. But Jesus said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. You see, the only way that you and I will ever choose Jesus over money is when Jesus becomes more beautiful and more glorious and more precious to our hearts than money is. 
And only God can open the eyes of your heart so that you can begin to see the greater glory, the greater worth, and the greater beauty of Jesus than money. So what must you do to inherit eternal life? This question, it was not just for the rich young ruler. This is a question that we all need to ask and we need a clear answer to. What do you have to do in order to inherit eternal life? This is what you have to do. By faith, you must see that Jesus is better and more beautiful than anything in this world, even more than money. You have to choose Jesus to be your first love, your actual and functional first love. That's the exact same answer as you need to believe in Jesus to receive eternal life. Some of you think that believing in Jesus simply means, oh, I believe that he exists. Devils believe that Jesus exists, and they are not inheritors of eternal life. To truly believe in Jesus means you see him for who he is, truly is. You see him for what he has done, and he is more glorious and more beautiful to you than anything else in this world. He becomes the first and foremost love for whom you'd sacrifice all the other loves. Parents, spouses, children, money, health, all those things are good, but they're nothing compared to Jesus. That is what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. When Jesus becomes the first love of your heart, you, are, you have received and inherited eternal life. But you see, friends, the only way we can Choose Jesus to be our first love as if we first see that he chose us as his first love. You see, in this story, there is another rich young ruler. And it's easy to miss him. Who else in our passage was rich? Jesus was rich. Rich with the riches of heaven. Who else in our passage was young? Jesus was young in the prime of his life. Who else in our passage was the ruler? Jesus was not just the ruler. He was the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the ruler of the nations. Jesus was and is the true rich young ruler in our story today. And the father asked Jesus to do what Jesus asked this young man. The father asked Jesus to go and sell everything that he had. Give it all away, and that he would have treasure in heaven. And for, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You see, long before Jesus asked this rich young ruler, to go and sell everything to gain heavenly treasure, Jesus was already doing it himself. You see, Jesus left heaven and all the riches of heaven that belonged to him as the Son of God. And Jesus was born into poverty to poor parents who couldn't even provide for him well. 
And he was hunted as a baby by King Herod. And he fled as a refugee to Egypt. And during his earthly ministry, he was hated and criticized. And eventually, he was put to death on a cross. And I want you to think about this. When Jesus died, he died without a single earthly material possession. He didn't even have a robe to cover his nakedness when he hung on the cross. Jesus didn't have money that he died and left to others. He died utterly penniless and possessionless. Dare I say, he died the kind of death that would be a nightmare for the rest of us, right? You see, Jesus was the true rich young ruler and he gave up all of his wealth, even his own life, so that he could get treasure in heaven. And that begs the question, so what is this treasure that Jesus wanted so badly that he would give up everything for? Church, it's us. We're that treasure. We're the treasure that Jesus wanted so badly that he was willing to give everything for, even his own life. And Jesus gave everything to have us, to gain us, and to bring us home so that we might be with him for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. You see, Jesus gave everything he had, even his own life, so that he could gain us to be his precious and beloved bride. And friends, when God opens your eyes to see Jesus, the beautiful one who gave up everything to make you his treasure, that is what will move and melt your heart. You see, in Jesus, we have a God who chose us as his first love and who was willing to lose everything in order to gain us, to be his treasure. And the beautiful sight of Jesus giving up everything to gain us, it's that beautiful sight that will have the power to break uh, the captivating and enslaving hypnotic spell that money has over our hearts. See, friends, when Jesus becomes the actual and functional first love of your hearts, then money becomes just money. Money is no longer what you need for your identity, for your security, for your significance, for your sense of well-being. Money is no longer the God that we trust. Jesus is the God that we trust. Let me put it this way. The only way we can give away our earthly wealth is when we know that we have eternal wealth. And our eternal wealth, the wealth that we can never lose, the wealth that will never fade away, is this, that we are loved by Jesus and we belong to him. That's true and eternal wealth. And when you know you have that, money becomes just money. You know, by asking the rich young man to sell everything and to follow him, Jesus was basically asking him, am I enough for you? Jesus was saying to the rich young ruler, imagine if you have nothing in this world. You have no wealth, no estate, no lands, no servants, no inheritance, nothing. You have nothing in this world, but you have me. You get to follow me. You get to be with me. Am I enough? And that question that Jesus asked the rich young ruler, he asked you and me today. And Jesus asked us to imagine 
a life where we have nothing in this world, where we never own a home, where we may not have a nice 401k, where we may not have much in our savings account. And yet Jesus says, but you get to be with me. You get to follow me. Am I enough for you? Friends, that is the question that each and every one of us, in the privacy and quiet of our minds and hearts, we need to answer today. Is Jesus enough for me? Or do I need something else to be happy? And whatever that something else is, whether it's money or healing, a spouse, children, that is your functional first love. Today, I ask you, is Jesus enough for you? Is it enough to know that Jesus loves you and that you belong to him, even if in this life you don't have all the things that you wish you had? So uh, let me wrap up my sermon with a couple of thoughts. So how do you become a cheerful and generous giver of money so that money doesn't ruin your spiritual life so that you might be fruitful for the kingdom of God? Well, you become generous and a cheerful giver when you choose Jesus to be your first love and not your money or anything else. And the only way that you will choose Jesus is when you see Jesus, the one who chose you as his first love and gave everything for you to gain you as his treasure in heaven. You know, as long as money is your functional first love, you will never be generous with your money. That's impossible. It just hurts too much. It pains you too much to part with your money. Only when Jesus becomes the first love of your heart, then and only then, you'll be able to be generous with your money and support the work of the gospel. Let me close with uh, one of my favorite stories. Uh, there was an older couple named Mel and Ava, and Ava told the story after her husband Mel had died. Uh, Ava escaped Finland with her young husband uh, during World War II, and they ended up in Costa Rica. And when Ava was in the hospital with their third child, her husband died. And so Ava was a woman without a country, without a husband. She was a young mother with three young children all alone. Eventually, Ava and her children made their way to the U.S. and ended up living in New York as immigrants. And for 20 years, she was unmarried, and she raised three kids all by herself. Now, Ava eventually became a Christian, and she started to attend a Sunday school class at her church. And a guy named Mel began to get friendly with Ava. Mel liked Ava. He began to put the moves on Ava, right? And Ava made it very clear to Mel, I'm not interested in marriage. Marriage is not in my future because I know how it works. Because when you get married, then you have to spoil the man. Life is hard enough. I don't need to waste my time or my energy spoiling a man. And Mel said to her, you don't understand. You just don't understand. But Mel kept being nice to her. He kept bringing her coffee at church. He kept on trying to sit next to her at church. And Ava said, I wish you would leave me alone. Stop being so nice to me, right? Leave me alone because 
I'm never going to go out with you. I'm not even going to go on a date with you because I'm not going to get married because I have no interest in spending the rest of my life spoiling a man. And that's what marriage is all about, about the wife spoiling the husband. And Mel kept saying, you don't understand. You do not understand. And Ava began to feel guilty for being so mean to Mel. So one day she agreed to get coffee with him. And when they sat down at the diner, she said to Mel, Every time I made my little speech to you, you keep saying you just don't understand. So tell me, what is it that I don't understand? And Mel said, every time you give your little speech, you would say, I don't want to get married because I don't want to spoil a man. And Mel looked at her and said, I don't want to marry you so that you can spoil me. I want to marry you so that I can spoil you. And with a smile on her face, with her husband Mel having died just a few days earlier, Ava said, and he did, Mel spoiled me. Do you think Christianity is about you spoiling Jesus? Or do you think it's about Jesus spoiling you? Do you think Jesus is a stingy, hard, demanding husband or do you think Jesus is a generous and loving husband who wants to spoil you with his everlasting love and with all of his eternal treasures in heaven? You see, what you think about Jesus changes everything, and it also changes what you do with your money. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Today, by the power of your spirit, would you open the eyes of our hearts so that we might see clearly, so that we might see Jesus, the one who chose us as his first love and who gave up everything to gain us as his treasure in heaven. And may the beautiful sight of Jesus' great love for us move us and melt our hearts so that we, so that Jesus becomes the first love of our hearts and not our money. In Jesus' name we pray.